we are looking at a section that the Apostle Paul pens at the conclusion of this letter. There has been great strife between him and this church that God had used him to found and strengthen. And there has been some reconciliation has happened. People kind of figured out that, you know, what we've been doing is kind of wrong. We should pay more attention to what God has done. But at the conclusion of this, he understands that some of his accusers, his false teachers, were still in there. And him not being in Corinth, he uh, wanted to set things, let everybody know where he stood. And that's the section that we are in on examining where the Apostle Paul was actually an apostle, is the accusation. And the Word of God says this, verse 5 and 6, Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail the test? But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Father, teach us. Teach us these wonderful truths. And that, Father, we may understand the urgency of the day that we are in. But yet, Father, we would understand the urgency of each of our lives in the manners that you have set before us. Help us to hear what our brother says. But, Father, may your spirit teach each of us so that we may bow before you with glory and adoration and praise and thanksgiving to you who paid the ultimate price for our redemption. Thank you, my King. In Christ's name, amen. We're in a section, the context actually started over chapter 12, verse 20, and runs to the end of the letter. And it's basically what I call a process of sanctification. And there's several steps that take place in this. Part of this, it starts off with repentance. We don't like to hear about repentance anymore, but it's still a, a, a truth. So you have repentance. Okay, With the repentance is discipline. Okay, you, you, we come to a place that we come to salvation. We understand that there's things that we need to change. That happens through our repentance. And then we have to discipline ourselves so that we continue to follow. In, and, 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 and it's like I heard it described one time. I thought it was appropriate. It's like when you get saved, you have a new operating system. But you don't know where all the bells and whistles are in it. And so you're kind of fiddling around and you're still trying to run on that old system every once in a while and it, you end up in a ditch. Okay, I mean, it's, I don't care what you, it doesn't make it any better, but you, it just don't work. All right, after that, you start understanding you have repentance, you have discipline, and you have authority. God, if you look at it, our structure that exists on humanity is one of submission and authority. I mean, I don't care what it is. All right. And it's, it's always been that way. It was designed that way. All right. So we have to come at different times in our lives to understand what authority are we under. You know, it's my home ain't here. My home is in heaven. All right. I am passing through. I'm here about my father's work. OK. And that's what we're doing right now. Then we move into what I call step four is an urgent question. Are you genuine? Okay, now you, I, <laughs> you can get in trouble asking this question. I, I used to have people say, well, do you believe in tongues? And I said, yeah, but I've never heard them. And he says, what? And I was like, well, you, you know, what the biblical 
narrative of tongues is, yeah, I believe it. it talks about it. Okay, but I've never seen anybody exercise it. I have spoken several foreign countries and, you know, I have one interpreter in Russia, the, uh, Misha. He, if you were to listen to us, but I've spent enough time with him, you wouldn't know who was interpreting who. Cause it's just that fast. All right. But he had to learn English and I give up on Russian. <laughs> so I, I went back to trying to figure out American. So, but you, it, it's that way, you know, and it's funny when I was in Azerbaijan last March, <laughs> the guy that was interpreting for me, I was driving him nuts. He would just sit there and look at me for a minute and says, is that American slang? <laughs> and I'm like, eh, probably. So anyway, no, it's a Midwestern accent. Sorry. Which is curious because Pastor Philip wants me to come to Punjab to celebrate their 10th year ministry. He wants me sometime in the fall. They teach in four dialects. So that would have to be on a serious case of what the <laughs> just happened. <laughs> so anyway, these are things that people ask me. But now I kind of moved away from tongues. It's, you know, really, you know, most of the people can't defend it. All right, so I don't even challenge the people on it anymore. But one of the things that I will throw out there every once in a while, are you saved? And they, you know, oh, yeah, I'm in a church. Don't mean nothing. I was standing in my garage yesterday and it didn't make me a car. So, I mean, come on now. Uh, so there, it's stuff like that. But I, if you would have known the Apostle Paul when he left Damascus or left for Damascus to arrest Christians, and then if you'd have saw him after he come back, there's no doubt in your mind something happened. Okay? And, and you can't, couldn't even doubt it. Alright? So, I don't understand how we can say we came to Christ and nothing changed. That don't make sense to me. I know when I came to Christ, things changed. And they changed dramatically and quickly. I used to be in construction. Construction has its own vocabulary. We'll call it that way. All right. And when I got saved, any time a, a profane word came out of my mouth, it was like me sticking my head in a 55 gallon barrel and shouting it. And it was like, oh, my goodness. I can't believe I just said that. And so that process continued on. There was a change. There was a change. You cannot look like the world and be saved. Okay, you know, I hear people, well, you know, I'm kind of a stealthy Christian. N no, you're not. <laughs> you, you, you know, that, that is, that is, nah. Anyway, so when we think about this, he challenges the Corinthians to examine themselves. And he uses the word to see if you are of the faith. Pistos in the Greek. That is saving faith. The subject of faith. Okay, and and we miss this a lot because we can. I know people who can speak fluent Christianese, but they don't act saved. I I mean, the things of the world is their passion. That's confusing to me. That's confusing to me. So Paul challenges them, 
And so I went over and I wanted to show you some things out of the letter to the Hebrews because the writer of Hebrews is dealing with biblically smart people. They have intellectually ascended to the gospel. But for whatever reason, some of them have not come. They know what it says. They understand the dynamic of it. They've probably, he says, you've tasted of the spirit. You've tasted of the good things to come. But the key is they haven't eaten it. All right. They know what it's about. They know what it says. They know how it operates. But they have not committed. All right. So I want to go back to the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10 this time. Chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and is regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay And again, the Lord will judge his people. And it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, that ought to be enough right there just to sort of, hey, let's think about this hard. All right. Again, the writer of Hebrews is dealing with this danger. This is the danger that you have the information. You understand the gospel. But you remain uncommitted to Christ as Lord. It is easy to spend just a moment with a person, just a few moments, and understand what rules their life. This isn't a deep theological thing. You can tell what a person's joy is in. And it stands out. And one of the things that is breaking my heart for as long as I've been in this town is a lot in the quote unquote church don't have the joy of the Lord. The Lord does not rule them. Life rules them. And that makes me nervous. I have a friend who passes a church and has been pastoring in a church for uh, almost 50 years. Congregation is about 60,000 people, okay? And I remember sitting and talking to him, and he made a statement to me, and he said, uh, I'm afraid that when the church is raptured, there won't be enough of us missing that anybody will notice. And I looked at him and said, you know, you got 60,000 people out front. And he said, "Uh, yeah. But he says, I don't think there's going to be that many. Because... Too many people are too wrapped up in this world. They have the information. They know what it says. And, and, it, and you just listen to it. And, I, and I'm sitting there going, well, wait a minute. There's something wrong here. All right. When I think about this text, 
These people who know, these people who have witnessed, these people who've experienced the mercy and the grace of the God creator, they will die in their sins despite the knowledge of the gospel. Listen, there is no other savior other than Christ Jesus. There is no other sacrifice for sin other than Christ Jesus. And if that's true, who do you serve? You're either right. Paul wrote the Romans. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Okay, now how many rights does a slave have? All right. So you can look and see what a person serves. I mean, it is as obvious as the nose on my face. Acts chapter four, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Okay, no plan B. No plan B. Those who reject Christ. And I mean, it may be an all out rejection or just a I don't care rejection. They need to understand the terrifying expectations of falling into the hands of the living God. And you know what? We play with that just like we might as well play with matches. I'll just make sure I don't touch it when it's hot. And he quotes Isaiah 26, verse 11, there at the end of this. And the Lord will be the judge of his people. And it's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. The fury of the fire which consumes the adversaries. Listen, this is God's eternal destruction. Do, do we understand that? I mean, that should just make everybody at least a few times say, man, am I really of the faith? Because that ain't a game. You don't want to miscalculate that. You know what? Well, you know, Jesus himself said, many will call me Lord, Lord. Did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not do miracles in your name? And he will say what? Away from me. I never knew you. The book of Revelations. Chapter 19, verse 20. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These were the these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. Chapter 20, verse 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Chapter 21, verse 8. 
But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see it in Matthew's gospel, chapter five, verse twenty two. You see it in Matthew's gospel, 18, verse nine. You see it in Mark's gospel, chapter nine, verse forty three. Jesus taught more on judgment and hell than any person in Scripture. Because he had to get it across our thick heads. This ain't no game. This isn't, you know, well, you know, I guess uh, Super Bowl's next week. I'll go to church today. No, this ain't what this is about. You go back to the Hebrews text and he says this. If those who broke the Mosaic law. The law of Moses were put to death without mercy. Okay, they set aside the law of Moses. They were put to death without mercy on the view of two witnesses. Okay, how much severer punishment do you think is deserved for rejecting grace? I was reading uh, Josephus and he had a article is called a dissertation on Hades to the Greeks describing what hell was and uh, now this is Josephus okay the great debate is was he saved this that or the other I don't know but he's got some cool stuff and he was talking about one of the torments in hell is that your conscience is eternal and you get to take that with you So the whole time, eternity, that you are in the lake of fire, your conscience is going to remind you of all the times you rejected Jesus Christ. Think about that for a minute. Talk about hanging out with the wrong person. I was talking to a guy the other day, a couple weeks ago, actually. And he said, you know, I'm just going to like it. He says, hell is where all my friends are going to be. I says, you won't see them. And he said, what? I said, you won't see him. Why? It's pitch black. You can't see him if you run into him. And you'll have other things to deal with. Your conscience, pain. You get a resurrected body when you go to hell. Did you know that? So it can withstand the dying process for eternity. Now that's something to look forward to right there now. And I don't understand why we are so cavalier with it. I mean, Jesus himself says, count the cost. Count the cost. Well, but we're saved by grace. We are. But you're not your own. You've been bought and paid for with a price. And it's easy to look at people and say, tell who their owner is. Because there's only two. And, and, and it is staggering to me to watch the world take over the church and be like the church. I was talking to a guy here in town. He says, yeah, we have a Saturday night service. He says, we turn the lights down low and the music up loud. And I said, that used to be where I go to bars. That don't sound right to me. You know, well, you know, we're hiring a worship leader. Well, who was Paul's worship leader? Everybody thought about that? Because if you listen to people try to describe to you worship today, when I look at that word, 
It means worthiness. Okay? So when you worship, you're giving something worthiness. Okay, you know what today he is? It's music. You'll never grow to church without some kind of worship band. Well, let's get Jimmy Page saved. Let's try some of this. You get some of these rockers, you know, the old rock and roller guys. The ones who could actually play music. <laughs> Them. Okay. But you see what I'm trying to get at? We've corrupted he who is worthy of our worship. We've created him in our own image. How much more severe is the punishment of those who reject his grace? You ever thought about that? It says you enter through the narrow gate. And it literally means uh, one at a time. Okay, you can't go in and say, well, Terry did this or my spouse did that or you can't do it. You go by yourself. Each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. It says here in our text, how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is a reality. Okay, this is not speculation. The greater a person's exposure to the gospel, the more severe the punishment if they reject. Now you think about it, some of you have been with me my entire ministry here. And if you think about it, we've been through Daniel, Judges, the Decalogue, Matthew, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Revelations, Hebrews, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Do I need to go on? Some of you have been exposed to every bit of that. And you are responsible for that information. And you can't be cavalier about it. For me not to challenge a person in their rejection only increases their condemnation. Did you get that? That's part of what I do. I don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, who should I challenge today? Okay, but when I preach, you should be at sometimes uncomfortable with some of the things I say. Because when I study it, there's times I'm uncomfortable with it. But as you are exposed to it, the spirit of the living God transforms the heart. It bears witness of ours. The Spirit of God bears witness to natural man's soul and conscience that we are children of God. Okay, if you don't ever have that happening, go back to step one. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
How could I not challenge a person? Now, listen, I meant what I said a couple of weeks ago. I don't need everybody coming up and asking me, do you think I'm saved? It says you examine, you test. Okay? You do it. But I can tell you this, it don't take long spending time with people to figure out what their focus is. What is this that, that is, they're passionate about? We must call to repentance. I, I read a quote here, and I could, for the life of me, couldn't remember who said it, so I'll just read it. No, it's a quote. Remember by unbelievers that sitting under the preaching of the gospel is high risk behavior, unquote. Okay. Why? Because rejecting of what you say, not committing to it. Okay. Because we can reject it without saying I reject it. We can sit there and go, Amen. And then just cruise right on. All right, yeah, I, I think that's what that was right, but I, I ain't gonna worry about it right now. I'm under grace. But that information only adds to the eternal punishment. These are all a call that Paul is getting to to the Corinthians. Are you genuine? Are you genuine? Let me give you one more call. One more warning. 38 and 39 of chapter 10 of Hebrews. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. But of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Hmm. The righteous live by faith. Okay? The apostate are devoid of faith. It ain't there. Okay? When I think about the word faith... A lot of times we look at it as an action, and it is. The problem is, we've kind of twisted it around in our uh, this age now, that we lose what is the subject of our faith. Okay, It is easy to see what people put their faith in. Okay, So simple to watch. You know, and I tell everybody, I said, I'm almost 60 years old. I have never met anybody who doesn't have faith. In something. And everybody says, no, I know people don't have faith. Really, do they drive? Okay? Because if you drive, you know what? That line in the middle of the road, it can't stop the other car from coming over. So I have faith that they will stay on their side of the lane, right? That's why you don't want to see me down in the Bahamas. I don't have that much faith. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm out growing everybody else's. <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> okay? Tell me go left on red. <laughs> what? But, uh, but, but I, I share that because what we put our faith in is evident to everybody. Absolutely evident to everybody. I used to be an electrician. 
Electricity is a theory. We don't know how it works. Well, I know what happens when it don't. Okay? Then you take up welding. Okay? But nobody knows how it works. I remember a professor sitting there telling me, well, we think it's electrons moving. What? How do you know? Well, it moves so fast we can't see it. Well, okay. But when it don't work, you know it's not working. And when it's working wrong, you know that too. All right? That's the kind of stuff that we have to think about. You know, I was reading a thing, uh, Albert Einstein, in 1920, 2021, somewhere in there, he wrote a book, God versus Science. If, if you got any atheists, you know, they need to read Einstein. Because he said, I can't look around and think that there's not a supreme being that created this. But when I look at the order of that it was created, I don't think there's any way possible of knowing who he is. And you're like, brilliant. <laughs> you got close, didn't you? Okay. But he was talking about hot and cold. His argument was, it was outstanding. That's outstanding. And he says, ask the question, is there such a thing as heat? Well, yeah, there's real hot, super hot, you know, kind of warm. Yeah. Okay. Is there such a thing as cold? Well, absolutely. No, there isn't. It's the absence of heat. Okay. Think about it. It's true. You can't measure cold. You're measuring the degrees of temperature. That's heat. Okay, and and so what happens is that because they say, well, look at the evil in the world. How can God be good? Okay, well, evil is the absence of God. Okay, one of the greatest torments that's going to happen in hell. The absence of God. So what do you put your faith in? Just because somebody says something? Well, that sounds right. You think, if you're putting your faith in that, why are the Broncos in the Super Bowl? Because they said it was going to be New England. So how'd that work? I don't put my faith in experts. And the more experts they are, the less faith I put in them. All right? These are things that you have to, you have to ask. You examine yourself to see if you are of the faith. You know, one of the greatest tests that I ever had is my first trip to Russia. Okay. Now, I traveled some internationally, but usually you could kind of figure out what was going on. When I got to Russia, they, they got a jacked up alphabet even. I mean, letters are backwards and. All kind of weird stuff. So, I mean, you can't even look at it and go, what the? So, and they have enunciations in their word. They can say the same word, but if you inflect it in a different place, <laughs> you could get in trouble. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just smile and say, American. <laughs> no, but, it, but you get off the airplane <laughs> in a... And I knew I was in trouble. I had jet lag moving in. The first thing that goes through my head is the Beatles song back in the USSR. And they're like, oh, this is, this is working well now. 
Okay, so I come out of the airport or out of the, the jetway and I go through customs and all the rest of it. And they just look at you. They don't talk to you. They don't say nothing. And I, and I told you that the Russians don't smile. They're just mad. And so I'm just sitting there and they're stamping passports, visa paper, boom, boom, and all the rest of it. And I'm looking around. I can't recognize nothing. There ain't a sign that says baggage claim. I, you know, so you decide, what are you going to do? I'm going to follow the crowd. <laughs> and I hope these idiots have baggage to collect. Because if not, I'm just going to be wandering around in there. And, you know, you, you know, uh, you, you're just walking blindly. You have no idea. I don't even know who's picking me up. Okay? I ain't got a picture of him. I don't know nothing. And, you know, you, you walk out and there's all these people standing out there waiting to pick up the people coming off the planes. And I'm sitting there going, this, I hope this works out. I can end up like KGB and they take me to Siberia. Okay. And I just said, Lord, you opened this door to the dumbest servant you got. Please take care of me. And about that time, this big guy, Olaf. Uh, typical Russian. I mean, he ain't got no neck. He's about 6'6". Six, six, and if he gets in the right place, you think it's a, an eclipse. Okay? And he looks at me and he says, hello. And I say, hey, how you doing? He speaks English. He knows hello. <laughs> and then you ride with him and... Uh, oh. I don't, I don't understand it at all. He was going through alleyways and streetways and it, they tore off the mirror of his car and, and he's just driving like this. Well, this is how we do it here. And then, you know, I watched six lanes going one direction and people in the right lane turning left. And they do it by blowing the horn. And you just sit there and go, dude, he's, <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm glad I ain't renting no car. <laughs> so, yeah, but see, that was God saying, do you trust me? And I'm like, I don't trust these people. <laughs> I got to trust you. Okay. But you don't have any idea. You know what I mean, they, they put me on a train and the guy who take me to the train station, he says, this is overnight because he's speaking English. This is overnight. And he says, when it stops, get off. Well, all right. <laughs> Sounds good to me. So you sleep on a train and that's, so it stopped and I got off. There I stood on this big piece of concrete and I'm sitting there going, I wonder if anybody knows I'm supposed to get off here. And sure enough, this guy was a little late. He come and got me, but it worked out and I've been back there numerous times. Same thing when I went, but see in Azerbaijan, they had English signs. You could read it. Okay, I mean, they had like three translators. They had Assyrian, Russian, and English. Uh, and I, I was like, oh, <laughs> McDonald's? No. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I had to, I got to tell you this, this is funny. I had a burrito at a Lebanese restaurant in Baku, Azerbaijan. Try to top that one. <laughs> now, I don't know what was in the burrito. And I learned a long time ago, don't ask what's in it. If it tastes, just eat it. And, and go on. Why? Because you have to put your faith in what the Lord is doing. Okay? And people say, well, why are you going to these places? So the Lord opens the doors. 
That's where I go there. I got news for you. Orel, Russia is not the vacation spot of the world. Baku, even though it started on the Caspian Sea, it smells like my shop. It smells like petroleum products. The whole country does. And you're just like, oh, you guys stink around here. And it's obvious you don't throw your cigarette butts out, do you? Because <laughs> you could set a whole field on fire. All right. But brothers and sisters, because people ask me, well, how did you? Listen, I find people who want the word. Because that's what God has used in my life to change me. All right. So I have faith. Why? I have tasted. I have eaten it deeply. I examine myself. I test myself. Brothers and sisters, we had all better be. We had all better be. Do not shrink back. Shrink back just means, hey, there's no commitment. There's no commitment. And you know what? When there is no commitment, you can understand that the reality is a terrifying destruction. That's coming. Absolutely coming. The righteous, he says here, shall live by faith. If you look at Colossians 1.5 or 1 Peter 1.4, you'll see it is to the preserving of the soul. Linsky, his commentary on Hebrews said this, quote, that you are looking at the storm of divine judgment. And the information isn't what get it. My righteous shall live by, by faith. We say, you know, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So all I have to say is Jesus is Lord. Okay, well, what does that mean? Is that just a magic phrase? Jesus is Lord, therefore I'm saved. Well, no. In his name is his nature and his character, all that he is. In his title, Lord, he is the absolute ruler. So, you confess that Jesus is all that he says he is and is absolutely in charge of everything, including me. Then you take step two. You believe that God raised him from the dead. All right? I believe that. Okay? Then what problem do you have? I mean, if he can only raise the dead, what problem do you have? I get people get nervous. Uh, you're going to go back over to Azerbaijan. They're shooting each other. And you got Muslims are mad at the Stalinists. They're mad at the Chechnyans. They're mad at the Iranians. And ee. I was like, what? I don't fit in any of them groups. I'm fine. And they said, well, does that? No. If the Lord wants to take me to glory through Baku, Azerbaijan, so be it. So be it. Okay. It is urgent to each of us. I don't care how long you say you've known the Lord. Okay. I don't care what you've done. You know, I went on a mission trip to Mexico and we, uh, Water skied or whatever. Okay? I don't care what you've done. 
it is best to examine the foundation of your spiritual life. One more thought from our Lord. Matthew of Gospel, chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Everyone who hears the words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house, and great was the fall. And it says the people who heard him say this were amazed at his teachings. Listen. What is the bedrock of truth-saving faith? Do I want to answer that? Because if you say Jesus, you're close. Because in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That is the bedrock. Okay? If you read your Bible once a week, you got a shaky foundation. You got a shaky foundation. But I want you to remember these warnings because if you do not commit in eternities, your conscience will keep reminding you of these warnings we just got out of Hebrews. Okay? Writer of Hebrews also says, heed your elders. They get, must give an account for your souls. All right? I have to give an account. Which will take me next week, we will begin the prophets of being genuine. The prophets of being genuine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his challenge to us. But Father, I thank you for the writer of Hebrews too. What an amazing man. Father, I pray that we who have ears will hear. And that, Father, if there's anyone here who is not committed, Lord, um, may today be the day of their salvation. May they not shrink back from what you have set before us. Help us, Lord, to understand. Help us to hear. In Christ's name, amen. I have this little thing I'd like to share with you because it's kind of fascinating to me. Comes out of John, starts the verses, John 21, verse 11. Simon Peter went up, dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. That text has always perplexed me. Okay? And it ain't why people think, well, the net didn't break or, you know, it didn't. No, man. He said there was 153 fish. Wasn't 154, 155, wasn't 211. There was 153 fish. And that has puzzled me. For hundreds of years, these are some other thoughts. For hundreds of years, commentators have wondered why John specifically said the disciples caught 153 fish when they drew up their nets at Christ's command. Jerome believed that there were 153 varieties of fish in the Sea of Galilee. And the catch represented the full reach of foreign missions. Augustine 
explained the number using a formula involving the multiples of the Ten Commandments and the seven spirits of God. There is probably no symbolic meaning to the 153. But it is an indication of how detailed our Lord is in his knowledge and his calculations. He's a savior who knows every fish in the sea, every bird in the air, every hair in our heads, and every step of our pathway. He knows when we get up and when we lie down. He knows our thoughts before they spring into our minds, and every fact and factoid of creation is recorded in his omniscient wisdom. He calls us to be fishers of men, and every individual is known, valued, and loved by him. As the shepherd numbers his sheep, the fisherman his catch, so Jesus knows each one whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Quote Charles Spurgeon, The number of the saved is to us a matter of which we know nothing definitely. Yet, secretly and invisibly, the Lord has counted them even to the odd one. Unquote. 